call the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Good afternoon. I am Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. I am in it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I have been since the beginning of time. And if you used to listen to me from 1 to 2, because that's the time I was always on, for some reason they have promoted me or upgraded me, and now I am on from 2 to 3. And if you don't like me, they'll probably throw me off from 3 to 4. But right now I'm on from 2 to 3 on Sundays, WABC 770 on the AM dial. And I want to tell you, there is one thing I do not understand about Biden. And I want to mention that to you. The fact is, the man doesn't really care. He only cared for two things in his life. A long time do nothing in D.C., which is what he was. He only thirsted for the job. He desperately wanted to be president. And two, he cared for family. His not yours. He got what he wanted, all he ever wanted. And as far as he's concerned, the rest of this whole effing world can basically go to hell. I'm telling you what I know, not what I think. Onward, onward, onward. The city that never sleeps, it's crying. Last Sunday, the Yankees invited me to Wallman Rink, so I could view the new sports game, Paddle. They were sponsoring it. Then came Don't Go, Not Safe. There was a Hamas pro and a pro-Israel rally. Both were out, and temperature on the street where I live was hate. It also corroded the indoors. Take fashion magazines which, the way the world is today, are about as much in demand as watching Biden do the polka. Advertising has pooped. Readers are down. Suddenly up comes a lady named Samira Nasser. Her father is Lebanese, mom Trinidadian, first woman of color in Harper's Bazaars, 153 years. She immediately posted support of the terrorists. Nice. It should help subscriptions. All of a sudden, Valerie Salambier, the former publisher of Harper's Bazaar, emailed Hearst's president, plus its former CEO. She said, I am appalled at those remarks, supporting terrorist group Hamas after they have killed so many people. I should suggest you fire this lady immediately. She is a fashion editor, not a Hamas spokesperson. Shame on her and Hearst for allowing this. Her post was instantly removed. So far, she wasn't. The lady is still working there. Now, since I'm on NBC, in NYC, I want to talk about the rental market. It's soft. Florida already has more seniors than alligators. Wall Street has offices down there. Our exits will next be to small burgs in the Carolinas, New Hampshire, 
Maine states to which nobody's previously rushed because there's no more land left in Florida that doesn't have somebody on it. So they've got to find other places to go to. You know, thinking back, once upon a Giuliani, his good mayoral days ruled a livable city. Squeegee guys gone, crime down, buddies jailed. Needed now is a new local city council who knows housing, social services, draconian budget cuts, types who'll work the city daytime. The days when we had a really good Giuliani. What we got now is a nighttime mayor. Globally, this planet is in chaos. Understood. But in what was once the richest city in the world, where people from all over the world wanted to come, we locally have our own specific suffering. The question is, where are New York City's hotshot bankers? Where are our multimillionaire business leaders, the revered clergy? Harlem people are killing their own people. Why is there no planet, why is there no panel of black clergymen? Anyone here are rich, big shots speaking out? We don't hear from anybody. It's just we and the press who are screaming. Some people are hiding behind their portfolios and gated mansions in soft, rich places like Greenwich. They've moved further east. But going to it, wherever it is, has already started creeping out. Connecticut is where cars are being stolen. You know why? There is no law enforcement to stop them. So people who have moved to Connecticut are now finding Connecticut is no haven. New York City, where the whole world once wanted to come, now has, you ready? Homeless, crime, rats, migrants, inflation, unemployment, hookers, marijuana, drugs, congestion, traffic. High taxes, bad schools, empty buildings, scary subways, zero parking, killing taxes, construction crews on every street, infrastructure crumbling, empty stores, and east side, west side, all around the town, there's always delivery guys on bicycles banging into you when you walk. I know because I crossed the street the other day, I looked in the correct direction to make sure there was no bicycle coming, and from the wrong direction, I nearly got hit by a bicycle. I'm just telling you. Some people hide behind their portfolios and their gated mansions in soft places, but it's not happening. Those soft places are now turning hard. Squashed in this city that never sleeps, that never sweeps or sleeps, are one-namers who live here. They're not moving out like me, Seinfeld, Spielberg, De Niro, Madonna, Scorsese, D. Trump, Mariah, Sarah Jessica, Beyonce. Also, we got us society types like Rockefellers, Astors, Vanderbilts, plus billionaires who could relocate to the glories of maybe Cincinnati, like a Bloomberg, Lauder, Icon, Blavatnik, Les Blavatnik, with his 16.3 billions. Listen, 
I'm bitching and I'm complaining because I love this city and I don't know where it or us or we are going. Be it known that in New York City's world-famous Bronx Zoo, the animals are kept safe, behind bars, for protection. It's we, us, the living, breathing, tax-paying citizens who exist here, work here, live here, love here, survive here, procreate here. We are the creatures with no protection. So before I go any further, I want to tell you, you've got to be sure to take care of yourself. Lithium in phosphate batteries are exploding everywhere. They're jeopardizing lives. They're overheating. They're causing fires in electric vehicles, laptops, boats, e-bikes, phones, scooters. The U.S. Consumer Product, Product Safety Commission has reported 25,000 issues in a five-year period. News have reported firefighters doused one fire that took 20,000 gallons of water. The International Association of Fire and Rescue Services claims battery-related fires increased five-fold in the last six years. So, Comes now Boston-based Alsim, A-L-S-Y-M. It's a made-in-America technology. It is non-toxic, non-flammable technology, and it is replacing those lithium-ion phosphate batteries. Alsim says their non-flammable, non-toxic ones are cheaper than the lithium so, wanting a better way, the industry wants it made in the USA batteries. It's a game changer. Going onward, going onward, added to our Middle Eastern horror, there is the daily news. In New York, at 2 p.m., a gray-haired lady walked alone on the east side of Madison Avenue and 72nd, 71st Street. That is Fashion Central Avenue. Right there is Ralph Lauren's huge building, plus a long-standing, well-known church. Right in front, broad daylight, she was mugged. Passers-by ran after the guy. They caught, they grabbed him. This is what New York City lives have become. Gun targets, robbery targets, knife-wielding targets, tax targets, rat targets. Ah, I'm telling you, once Mayor Koch declared New York City a sanctuary. Mayor Giuliani, who then enlivened Koch's invitation, now claims Democrats have made New York City hospitable to immigrants. Koch and Giuliani set this pattern. The solution? Hey, remember DeSantis saying he's humane? 
and taking immigrants to Martha's Vineyard? Well, winter is coming. It's cruel to send immigrants to the frozen north. He could find a bus cavalcade to South Carolina. Georgia, Florida, costs less than housing and feeding migrants shipped in from Texas and could spare them sleeping in New York's freezing streets. Ah, listen, I got to tell you, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's something I want to get off my chest. I was just in Boston. Why did I go to Boston? Who cares about Boston? I went because it's fall time and it's a time to visit someplace. So this is an explanation. It is not an apology. The town, Boston, it's got Boston baked beans. There's a point that I'm going to make here. The town's got Boston baked beans, Boston scrod, Boston cream pie, Boston clam chowder. Boston clam chowder is red. Boston's white. It's like milk of magnesia. Anyway, what they did is they made Harvard. And the question I am asking now is, why are all Harvard professors primarily left-wingers? None ever had a real job. None ever scratched to make a living in the real life of inventory, housing, tenure, style, salaries. Their life work is just to pee on the God bless us, United States of America. Boston's downtown is tiny. My hairpiece is larger. The lousiest thing, this is the real reason for this story. The lousiest thing is the Boston Globe. That's their prime newspaper. And years back, when I first visited Boston, they wrote an editorial slamming me. They said the town should bar me. They printed how I should never be allowed there anymore. They said that running their tiny town was no notorious crime boss, killer James Whitey Bulger. He was racketeering. He was extortion. He was murderer. Him they didn't mind. Me they minded. Here's why. I had gone to Fenway to inhale the Red Sox once. Big mistake. New Yorkers have to understand that even the Statue of Liberty can smell Yankee Stadium's hot dogs. The aroma reaches to Colorado, inhaling at least one big, long, fat, red, juicy, aromatic. Frank is automatic. I can knock off two while ordering a hamburger. So I go to Fenway, my first time. I order a frankfurter. The thing comes. You ready? And you ready for why they wrote an editorial against me? The frankfurter was beige. Beige. A beige frank? The color of my blouse? I could have pinned it on my collar as a brooch. Whoever heard of a beige hot dog? It was the width of a crayon. The thing looked like a dog dropped it. Face it, if the pilgrims had known this, they'd have turned around. So, we classy exports from Yankee Stadium, inhaling our world-famous, delicious, juicy, extra-long beef hot dogs, even without the sauerkraut. Listen, we have standards. They may be low, but they're standards. So I talked about this tragedy. I wrote about it in the New York Post. 
the locals resented it. They did an actual editorial. It was forget the Boston Tea Party, fie on the American Revolution, shove the Battle of Bunker Hill, ignore your John Hancock Company increasing premiums. It is no longer welcome in their small city, me. Cindy Adams of the New York Post, I was no longer welcome. An editorial. Listen, if Moses schlepped down from Mount Sinai now and they trekked to Fenway, the tablets he'd carry would be aspirin. So shove their Sam Adams beer, their locally made monopoly and their Dunkin' Donuts, and New York's famous extra-long hot dogs. They are the best. Okay, I'm still going on, so don't get rid of me. I'm still going on. Tragedy is today's daily food, shouting, not chatting, to learn when couples actually engage in normal everyday conversation. What I did is a survey. Is it at breakfast? No. I asked a driver. He said, breakfast? Who has time to talk? My only interest is coffee. I got to work. The wife's got to work. Weekends we food shop. That's when we talk. It's enough. A techie said to me, breakfast? I should engage in chat and breakfast? That's when I take Charlie out. Who's Charlie? Our dog. Who should I take out seven in the morning to poop? My wife? A lady accountant said to me, listen, I got a small child, a train to catch, and an au pair to instruct. It's no time for big talking. I'm busy stuffing my kid with wheat Tina, not asking why my husband came home light, late the night before. Also, the husband drinks soy milk, and if we're out of it, he's set for a divorce. No moment to discuss the Middle East. Also, clouding conversation, devices. Focusing on a face when the person's facing his palm, learned from my inventory, was that the choice is either looking at a schlumpy housecoat or a blonde anchor with long hair mispronouncing the news. So it was either burnt toast or a teenage female anchor with long hair down to her crotch and fake eyelashes discussing terrorists in Iran. That's how she pronounced it. Okay, it's now time for me to make a station break. I just want to tell you, before I make the station break, write me letters. I want to hear from you. I love hearing from you. And I have to remind you, my new town time, instead of one to two, is two to three. And then among my so-called fan mail letters came this one. It said, I am married to the same woman 15 years. It's starting to go dull. I know her every move before she makes it. So I answered him. I said, look, pal, if she still moves, don't complain. Time for me for a station break. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now speaking with television's Rosanna Scotto. She has been giving you the news since Jesus walked the earth, and now she will be talking to me. How many years ago, how long ago did you start this show? 
Oh, Lord, why would you ask me that question? So you're talking about Good Day New York because I've been on Good Day New York about 15 years. But I, with the 10 o'clock news, for a, a number of years, I can't count them on my hands. Okay, it's that many, you know. And even maybe if I use my toes, too, it's that many. And what were you when you started? Were you the star of the show or were you just a lousy little person or what? I was one of those little runt reporters when I started. But, I mean, you know, listen, when I graduated college, I, I did all the grunt work, you know. Um, I whipped scripts. I got coffee. I did the chirons, you know, the, the, the names and the, yeah, the sports yeah. scores that are up on the screen. I did all that stuff. And then I learned, you know, research and writing and film producing. And, and then I was reporting. And, you know, I kind of worked my way up. So I even knew how to shoot. Uh, and edit. Uh, I probably don't know how to do that now on the new equipment, but I don't want to, because the more you know, the more they want you to do. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. going okay. to keep myself out of that. I'll just play dumb. Well, well, what happened when you went to school? You mean from the day one when you were born, you wanted to be on TV? You wanted to be a reporter? Is that it? Yes. Cindy, I, I know you probably remember this. Uh, there was a woman on the air uh, when I was growing up, Roseanne Scamadella. She was on Eyewitness News. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were very few Italian-American women on the air. Very few women on the air. And, you know, our dinners were around watching TV news, you know. And I was like, wow, she has a name like mine. She's from Brooklyn. My dad said, I know her. I'm like, can I meet her? I'd love to pick her brain about how I can do this. And so she introduced me to Ernie and Astis. Uh, and uh. Uh, and this is all while I was in college, and I then started figuring out, navigating what I needed to take in school to somewhat be viable when I got outside of class, because I was a theater major, and I know, Cindy, you could tell how dramatic I am. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, making me cry I right know. now. Okay. <laughs> so what school? Where and, did you go, and how, how lousy a student were you? Um, I was a very good student. I went to Catholic University. Let me fix my halo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cardinal, yeah. Our, yeah. our favorite Cardinal was there at the time, but we were not studying the same thing. He was studying <laughs> heavenly things, and I was looking to get in trouble. I understand so, that. Uh, we were on two uh, different, you know, he was in the, the, the heavens and I was in the underworld. And uh, I, I loved it. I loved Catholic University. It gave me a great education. And I'm so grateful for my faith. Um, I think it helps me during these crazy times that we're living in. I mean, we need something, right? Were you scared when you first were thrown into TV in front of a microphone? Uh, yeah, especially, you know, if there was breaking news. Really, it does take a, a, a while to be able to, um, I don't know, figure out the stuff in your brain and make sure it comes out in a, a thoughtful way and not say anything that's just on the top of your head, you know? I, I Believe it or not, I, I'm not even going to, why would I jinx myself? But I've never cursed on the air, and I have a very... You mean to say you never said a bad word on the air? By accident, I did once. But it Can wasn't like my usual how I like to put an F-bomb in, you know, and use it as an adjective, noun, and a verb. 
Well, I mean, I have done a few little things that weren't so great. So tell me about the Brooklyn accent. You never tried, pardon the expression, to get rid of it? Yes, I did. I went to this woman named Lillian Wilder. Do you remember Lillian? A lot of people, uh, you know, networks would send all their reporters there, and she would kind of clean up everybody's accent. And I went a long time. Um, Channel 7 sent me there, and then Channel 5 sent me there. Then my father sent me there. And he said, how much? Let's figure out how much we've spent already. And Lillian, by the way, she was ready to pull out her hair. She's like, what kind of accent is this? And I realized the more that I tried to sound like middle American was I was getting rid of my personality. I needed the Brooklyn accent to be me. And now I think it's very acceptable. Back then it wasn't acceptable. They wanted, you know, everybody to be like middle American, blonde and blue eyed. And, you know, um, and now I think everybody accepts. You know, that we all look different and we're all of different ethnicities. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know about the accent, but we're all used to you and we love you madly. (laughs) What about uh, when I was an anchor on on TV, we had problems about the schmatas we were wearing. We would spill coffee on it or the damn thing was too big You or safety pins in the back that nobody can see. You always look quite poised, and your clothes look good. You never had an accident with with clothes or anything on on the air? I do keep something at work just in case I have an accident. Um, And, yes, there's been times where I've dropped coffee. Uh, You know, Greg Kelly, who you know from WABC and Newsmax, he's dropped slurpees on me. I mean, literally, I've had more stuff dropped on me from him than my own doing. You know, I remember one show with your Greg Kelly when he was on your show. I had yeah. my dog with me, my boy dog. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. The great, <laughs> the great story. And my boy dog is wandering around in front of the cameras. And he said to the audience, okay, is this a boy dog or a girl dog? Really? Well, what kind of a sex life does he have? I mean. I mean, I, literally, I think you showed him the anatomy of the dog on oh, the air. Oh, I did. I did. We, we were crying, laughing so much. I remember. You know, that. Greg, it takes Greg a little bit to, you know, catch on. But when he does, he's very good. Have you never been able, or I, I'm not saying this properly gram- grammatically, have you ever not been able to make a show? No, I've made every show. Don't jinx me, Cindy. I won't. But what happens? What happens? What what time do you get up? What time do you? How do you get up? I get up at four thirty. Leave the house in the five-ish range. I'm at work for a five-fifteen meeting. Now, have I overslept? Yes, but thank goodness they know if I'm not there by five-fifteen, they need to wake me up. And it's happened. It happens maybe once a year. You know, your body's just tired. And I know you think that I'm used to it, and I am very disciplined and trying to get to sleep on time and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, your body just sometimes needs an extra few minutes of sleep. Uh, But I've never missed the top of the show. 
do you ever have to nudge your husband in the way or something like that? I mean, you're you're not unless you're sleeping alone for all these years. No, no. Let me tell you something, Cindy. He is the king of the castle. He must not be disturbed in the morning. Okay. <laughs> all right. So when I get up, it's like I'm a cat burglar. I'm trying to figure out where the bathroom is, and then. God forbid, I trip, I, and I'm always dropping my phone because the phone has to be in my hand. Yeah. And sometimes I put the light on on the phone so I can see where I'm going because he was the king, cannot be disturbed. No, I understand that. I actually understand that. Tell me, I hope you have had one lousy guest in all your hundred years. Did you ever have a lousy guest? Um... Well, you know, yes, of course. Um, we had one recently, a politician who will not be named. Can you um, give me the initials? JB. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. So anyway, he came on. He was talking about something. You know, he's running for reelection. And I said, did you ever vote for defund the police? No, I never did. I'm, and then I was like, oh, wait a second. I just happened to have your Twitter from yeah. June 26, 2020. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jeez. that's nice. After that, he literally called my bosses a million times. He wanted a retraction, this and the other thing. My boss was like, there's no retraction. You were there. <laughs> you responded to it. <laughs> it wasn't like he was talking behind your back. You were right there. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> What about you? Anyway. You have told me that no bad word has ever slipped through your pursed lips. You never. Taste me. You taste me. I know you are. I'm going to go on in on on Monday, and I'm going to let just let it rip. I'm totally going to let it rip. That's what I'll do on my last day. How about that? When is your? Oh, there's it. never going to be a last day. When are you going to have a last day? I don't know. You know what? I love what I do. I'm I'm totally energized by what I do. I get to meet the most interesting people, movers, shakers, celebrities, lifestyle people. I hang out with Cindy Adams. She uh, was in uh, – I loved what happened the other day. You're out there, the Cardinals blessing all the animals outside Radio City. I spy <laughs> you in the back. I see you there. You got your pad, your pencil. And I tell my reporter, say hi to Cindy for me. He did. And you she turn did. around. She did. She did. <laughs> and and she does. And you turn around and go, tell her she owes me dinner. And there you go. <laughs> but you mean while I'm while I was there with the cardinal, you were watching me. I uh, uh, weren't you doing your own show? I was doing my own show, but I, I saw you. I saw you in the background. It oh, was like okay. you were like a little reporter, like it was your first day on the job with the pen and the pad. Yeah, well, because he tells me little things that I can force out of him that I can write about. Okay, okay. Have you personally, <laughs> since I know you a thousand years and we watch you daily, have you, you. ever screwed up? Yeah, of course, a million times. Um, uh, how do you cover? Up. How do you cover? Uh... You know, I, how do I cover? Like, uh, you know, either you, you admit that you made a mistake. And I think people like that. People like to see screw-ups. I think they because otherwise, everybody's so perfect on the air. Don't you want to know that they're real and they're normal? So I think that the screw-ups are endearing to people. 
I haven't had a major, major screw up. Uh, but yes, little screw ups here and there, totally. But like I said, I think people like it. So tell me, if you get up at this ungodly hour, I forgot, what time do you get up every morning? 4.30-ish. Okay, by an alarm? Oh, yeah. One alarm only? One alarm. And and no snooze, because the king must not be disturbed. No, I understand that. I understand that. So how late can you stay up? I've seen you at every party that's ever been here. When George Washington came in, you were there. I mean, you never missed a party ever. I, I, my sister says I'm there for the opening of an envelope. Um, well, you know, listen, when I'm not out, I like to be in bed around 7.30. I read for about an hour or two and then close the light by 9.30. If uh, I am out with you, Cindy Adams, I can be out till 9.30, 10. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm in the best mood the next day. Uh, and I don't like to do it, you know, consecutive nights. But I can hang with the big, big girls and boys. You don't get really tired, sweetie, ever really. No, I'm, I'm saying I, I get tired, you know. But I, 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 once I get up and out of bed and a cup of coffee in me, I'm ready for the day. There's rarely a day that I don't know. It's the same thing that you do. You're so focused on what you're doing, you kind of forget. Your, your issues, your problems, how tired you are. You're energized by what you do. Do you have your cup of coffee before you get to the studio? No. I take it with me. I take a thermos in the morning, and uh, I um, I drink it at, at my desk during our meeting. And, what do you, you know, do with I your schmatas? You, what do you do with I, your schmatas, your clothes? I dress, How, I dress in my schmata. That's what I do. I wake up in the morning, I dress in my schmata, and I leave the house. You know, I take a shower, whatever. But no no hair and makeup. I do that at work. We do not have hair and makeup people anymore. And so I do that myself. You're doing your own? You're doing your own? Yeah. Do I look like a cyclops to you some mornings? Cause that, no, I'm, that, I have to. That is the I have real to tell you. I have to tell you that you're looking very well. I mean, there might be a slightly different hair color, which I wouldn't even mention, (laughs) (laughs) which I wouldn't even bring up. I wouldn't even bring it up, but you're looking very well. And I was watching you yesterday, the dress, everything, everything. However, what people don't know is that while you're interviewing the world's famous and the camera turns away for a split second, you're on your stupid phone. How can you do that? I, I guess I have ADD and um, I, I, I do. I, I really, I'm, I'm on my phone. I'm texting people. I'm tweeting during the show or Xing, whatever you call I know, it now. I know, I know. And, and I think people like that. That's part of the whole, you know, experience now of watching TV, of, you know, interacting with our audience and, and getting a feeling, you know, momentarily. How people feel about a certain interview or subject, and you know, I, I try to incorporate incorporate that in the show. Okay, I, I, I have now to... had enough of you. You did. I have oh, now I'm had enough of you. With you. <laughs> I'm getting started with you. Don't cut me off like that, Cindy. <laughs> I have now had enough of you. We can't have dinner because this weekend, like I said, I forgot I have to go to Boston. So will you find another date and you know who else we're going to ask? You know, you know yes. we, we talked about I'm it. Very, 
tall, okay. handsome uh, gentleman for you. Yes. It's I great. Will. It's okay. great. It's great. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. I love I you. Love I love you. you. Thank you, Cindy. This was so much fun. Thank you. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Sean Young was a hotshot movie star in the 80s. I knew her very, very well. She worked with people like Kevin Costner and, and, um, and Michael Douglas and Nicolas Cage. She was the tops, and then she fell off the radar, and I haven't spoken to her in all these years. So now she is on an off-Broadway show, and I'm going to get back with Sean Young again. You won't remember, Sean, but I have never forgotten. A, a long time ago, right after you were an Elaine Aiken student who was my friend, you yeah, once supervised you once supervised how I looked. You were gorgeous and I wasn't, and you knew makeup and I didn't. And you said, I am very particular about my makeup. A makeup person has to go up because going up doesn't drag your face out. I get crazy I when I'm not treated well. I remember that. Do you remember oh, saying that's it? Funny. Well, I remember saying it, yeah, because it's true, you know. And I always try to help the ladies out, you know. All the all the girls on this show are really nice, and you know, it's just great to have uh, information that you can share and that people appreciate. I don't I don't remember specifically saying that to you. I've said it about a gazillion times because, do you find that I was right? Yes. Do you put yeah. your makeup on going up or when you're yeah. going out yourself? Yeah. Yeah, still. And my face looks pretty good for 63. Yeah, well, you got to come you know? over and fix mine, honey. So now, yeah? meantime, <laughs> meantime, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me what ode to the wasp woman means. What is it? It's a vignette of four acts of people who had tragic endings in Hollywood. I play Susan Cabot. She worked for Roger Corman back in the day and did a movie called The The Wasp Woman, which I actually watched. It's, you got to be patient to get through it. But she turns into a wasp at the end. And so this is about her her real life story, which was really kind of tragic. And, um, you know, she comes to her a tragic ending in, in a murder. And um, then there's George Reeves in it. And the guy, Carl Switzer, or Schweitzer, who played Alfalfa in The Little Rascals, and then Barbara Payton. And all these people were, um, you know, kind of, tra- kind of tragic figures. And there's songs. There's songs in the show. There's like four different songs. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's rather clever, to tell you the truth. It's rather clever. Why did you decide this when we haven't heard you do anything in some while? Why specifically did you pick this? I don't think it's a mystery that actors like to work, you know. But you didn't work for so long. Well, I did. I just didn't work on things that got a lot of traction. You know, like I in the in the '90s, we all made our money doing Lifetime movies up in in Vancouver, or <laughs> yeah. you know, you yeah. know what I mean. And then they lost their tax credit, and then you know, I mean, you can work, but like I said, you know, uh, the the alphabet. I, I've done A, B, C, and D, and I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of experience, and I like l- l- lending my my strength and my 
leadership to this this show, and it's fun for me. And I think the director was very um, – he built my confidence up and let me feel that, you know, I would be right for it. And I think I am right for it. And so, you know, it was offered, and it was a good opportunity for me. What is the Actors Temple Theater? I did the life story of Lee Strasberg. I, I wrote his autobiography. Really? as told to me. So I know all about the actors, but I don't understand the Actors Temple Theater. I didn't know about that. Well, I don't that. know what that they're, they're associated. Lee Strasberg Theater is like on 15th. This is on 47th Street, and it used to be a synagogue, and then they converted it into a theater. I'm not sure what year that happened, but um, it's been here a while. It's a little, it's a little, you know, 199 seat theater, and um, it's got like stained glass windows and stuff. And it's kind of, it's it's from at least I would say 50 years ago or 40 years ago. So is this a limited engagement? Well, it just depends on on how it does. You know, I'm I'm in it till the the end of the year, and really, I think all these shows really it. It ends up being like how well the show does if you go on, as far as I understand. But so now you're in New York, is that correct? You have to be. Yes, yes, I am. How does it feel? Yeah, well, <laughs> oh, I love New York. I've missed it. You know, I've missed it a lot. And what they, they've got an Airbnb for me on 45th Street. So it's right across the street from Broadway Dance Center, which I love. And so I can just bop over there. You know, Sean Young, classes. with all the awards and all these famous people, you were in a B and B. Oh, I love it! Oh no, I love it. I much prefer it because you know when you're. Well, I don't know about you, but I have to be like I have to have a clean diet. It's very good to have a clean diet, and and I don't eat wheat anymore. So, you know, it's like you go to a restaurant and it's like wheat, wheat, wheat. It's too much. So I like to cook for myself. So that was the point of that. It tell me, since I'm never eating anything proper, what what's <laughs> wrong with wheat? Well, you know, you can read a book called Wheat Belly by Dr. William Davies, but basically wheat stimulates your appetite. The, the type of wheat uh, strain that is used primarily in uh, products today and the highly processed food. And wheat is one of them and pasta is one of them. And it you know, when you eliminate those from your diet, your weight is stabilized and you don't have cravings anymore. And it's just way better for your body. You know, Listen, those two things are my main foods. <laughs> well, I know, but you know what you'd have, I'll tell you something, when you give those up, what yeah. you notice immediately is how light you feel and how much better you feel and how much more spry you are. Like I've, I've been off wheat now and I used to have like aches in my knees. All that went away without that because wheat is is uh, promotes inflammation, and so when you eat it, you're actually making it really much more tough on your body to expel its toxins and stuff. It's you just have to try it, Cindy, in order to believe it. Wheat, and you can get the book Wheat Belly. It's it. it it's the whole history of it, so you'll know everything after you read that book because there's a lot of there's a lot of science and information in it, but it's okay. a, it's a it's a tough one. You know why? Because it is so much of all of our diets. It's like it's hideous, actually. So a sandwich you don't ever have? No. Nope. Oh. 
No, no. Oh. My 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 diet's pretty dull. I basically eat some forms of meat and then vegetables and salads. And although I get bored with that sometimes, I never get bored with how I feel. You know. That's pretty good. Now back to your show. Do you change wardrobe for the characters? I do. I change a couple times. I only play Susan, um, but there are a couple of changes. Yeah, and it's the, fun. These these four. Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure. I I understand who they are, but they're they're all gone. They're not with us anymore. Correct. Okay. So yeah. why why tell me again? My my brain is not working. Why specifically did the writer pick these four people to write about? Well, I'm not sure why the writer picked those four other than he was interested in them. Like he he, he knows all about the the um the characters. I I have the right the writer right here if you want to ask him. I'm not I sure. Don't, but... I know I only want to talk to you. Talk to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it you know his inspiration um you know, he, he has a whole background. He knew all about these different characters and did a lot of research on all of them. I, I didn't know about Barbara Payton, um, so I learned a lot about her on with the script. But I knew about uh, George Reeves, and I knew about the alfalfa yeah. guy because he, he was shot. But it, I also learned about Susan Cabot, and I, and I looked up the—I um, have a friend, and I looked up the files— of of her of her case because her son mur- murdered her, and um, her, her son had dwarfism, and so she would give him hor- hor- growth hormones, and that was in the early eighties and and probably late seventies. And I'm not sure they knew exactly what growth hormones did at that point. However, uh, so it was a very tragic. Well, her whole life was tragic. She grew up in foster homes. Her her mom got placed in an insane asylum and. You know, and then she became, you know, kind of a, a B movie actress, and and that was probably the best, most affirming and validating thing in her life. You know, so then when her career fails, um, kind of sent her over the edge. Okay. After this, where do you go? Do you have something else planned after the show? I don't at the moment, but. Um, that's you know that's just show business, <laughs> no, no, you know. But know. maybe, yeah. I don't. I don't at the moment. I have a. I have another play that um, I want to do, and I got a whole bunch of people in Arizona and actually Chandler, Arizona, uh, that want to set it up. So I'm happy about that. It's a 900 seat theater in that theater, but we're waiting for one more actor. Are you going to look for movies, or are movies going to be looking for you at all? Well, I hope so, Cindy. That's kind of the, the the hope. If you had to choose show business again, if you had life to live over, would you choose show business again? You mean when I was 20? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I was... I think I was a, a very good mother in this lifetime, so I'm very glad that I, I got to be a mother. It was a very fulfilling... But I also... Being an actress, especially in the 80s for me, was quite exciting, you know. And I think what I think my proviso would be, I would do it again, except I would learn better 
preservation skills. I don't know if you remember this, but my nose is stuffy. My my mother was my manager, and well, she she passed away, but she she was a crap manager, and I didn't know how to say no, you know. So because of those family dynamics, and so I think if I did show business again, I would I would hope that I could you know, say no to my mother and choose good people to be, you know, in business with. Because that really does make a difference for a lot of people who are in this industry is to be represented by people that, you know, are in a, in a strong position to be of use to you. You were really at the top. You were, I mean, with the, the number one players in, in our world. How did you start working as an actress? How? Where I got I got really lucky. I um I got I got seen by ICM, and then I, they signed me. I never went it to any other agency in ni- in 1978. They signed me, and then a month after I was signed with ICM, I got a movie called Jane Austen in Manhattan with with James, James Ivory and Ishmael Merchant. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just boom, right out of the gate. And then not too long after that, I got stripes and then I got Blade Runner, which was like, oh, my Lord. And then, you know, I I did the Young Doctors in Love with Gary Marshall. And then, you know, the 80s was it was that was your that was the time of your year. You you were running very hot then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And all the way, I think, till like. 87, even. 87, 88, and and then I had the misfortune of doing that movie with James Woods. And that was, you know, um, hey, not a good good career break. You know, not a good career break. Okay. Do you see any of your old movies? Do you ever watch them? Do you have a box Uh, set of them? To tell you the truth, I don't. I really don't. I, I sometimes... Um, people will say, oh, I saw your movie the other day. I know they air a lot because I get a lot of residuals, which makes me happy. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't uh, I, I don't watch them myself much. I, I still like Ace Ventura a lot. It makes me laugh. But, I, you know, there were things about all of them that I liked. Like I liked Cousins, even though it was sort of a little strange movie. And, you know, even... Even some of the Lifetime movies were amusing, perhaps, you know, more in the, D, B, you know, B, B or C category. But still, I was always really grateful to have a living and, you know, be able to work and be able to take care of my family, which, you know, I did a really good job and my boys turned out great. They're just fantastic. So, you know, it, in the long run, you- I really have, I'm really happy it went as it did. Is there anything else you'd want to do uh, besides show business? Any particular hobby oh, or you know, you'd like? Oh, I would love to direct plays. That would be so much fun. You know, or, or direct anything for that matter, because I'm already a kind of a little bossy person. So, you know, I do. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. I walk in and I, and I like have all this, it, you know, I've got four decades in this business, right? I mean, that's a lot of business. That's a lot of years. And, I walk in and I, I know what's going on, you know. So you know, things things come up to my in my head that I remember. Uh, I I know Woody Allen took you to to the Waldorf once, and and didn't you learn boxing 
Am I right or am I wrong? I, I learned boxing for a film called... Um, it, had the, it had the word crimes in it. I can't remember. I can't remember it, but... Um, and we shot that in Georgia, and that was a Harvey Weinstein picture. And oh, then, yeah, um, okay. right, and then Woody Allen cast me in two different pictures. One was Crimes and Misdemeanors, but he cut me out of it, and then he wrote me a note saying, I didn't cut you out because of anything you did, you know. Um, and then I think I was in the, a Woody picture for about, for, called Alice with Mia, and that was before all the shenanigans. And... Um, yeah, yeah. There's just so been. To, I really. I mean, you know, if I had to say any regrets, I, you know, I think every actor says, you know, I wish I could have done more, a pictures, you know. I mean, but that's not like a news flash. You know what I mean? I mean, every actor wants to be in really good movies, and you can always tell too if you're working on a show that's really high quality. You know it. You know, and you also know if it's not quite as good or if it's, you know, or whatever. And, and some actors don't, you know, they're very particular about what they choose. And, and um, I mean, I definitely know how to say no to stuff that I don't want to do. Um, but I like to work, you know, it's fun for me. And I don't have a, you know, a tremendous ego about it either. So, you know, I bring a lot to the party and oh, I'm proud of do. that. Of course you do. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah. I bring a, is there, a, and I'm proud. I'm proud of that. Can we ask you about the bad time with the actor? Oh, well, you know, I mean, he, he was a psycho. That's what, you know, he was a psycho. And, well, I mean, let me, let me put it into some perspective. You know, now there's a thing called the Me Too movement, right? And, you know, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a lot more of people, you know, who are aware of, you know, the fact that, that, that people will prey on young, beautiful women and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the other side of the coin is it's not like these women don't know that they're beautiful and they're walking in there and they're trying to parlay what they have for greater opportunities. You know, that's also true. Both sides of this coin are true, right? So. Yeah, it's it's that's not a news flash. So so I was more or less in that category in the 80s where I was a young beautiful you know yeah. actress and ambitious and stuff and I just didn't have quite the self-preservation and when when I would get harassed I I was kind of harsh on them, you know. I was I was kind of like no Warren Beatty get your hands off me. You know, I I wasn't really very politic about it, and um, I could have done that better, you know. But, and this is one of the things I've taught my sons, um, I I said to them, look, I was right, but that didn't do me much good, you know. So being able to keep, you know, your mouth shut and all that, that was something I didn't have a great skill at at that time. And I, I probably haven't improved much either for that matter. But. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm, you know. I'm just, I'm just glad to talk. I'm just glad to talk to you. I'm just glad After to talk to you. After all these years. Yes. It's sweet. I appreciate it, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm glad to talk to you, Sean. Really, really, really. Once every 25 years, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> 
Perfect. I appreciate it. Thanks, honey.